Hey good people, this is your NI Dom back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So hey, gaslighting, I'm going to do some reading for you. This is weird, I don't usually start off by reading, but I'm going to read something for you. Gaslighting is a psychological manipulation of a person, usually over an extended period of time, that causes the victim to question their validity of their own thoughts, perception of reality, or memories, and typically leads to confusion, loss of confidence and self-esteem, uncertainty of one's emotional or mental stability, and a dependency on the perpetrator. I'm reading a definition of gaslighting from Miriam Webster online. Okay, that's on the internet. What I want to talk to you about is gaslighting, but self-gaslighting. And um, it's a concept that um, gaslighting is like just a con- common term. People use it a lot when... Um, when there's a discrepancy over a, a, a situation that's perceived as real, and one person may say, might disagree, and another person will say, um, you're gaslighting me. And so I, I, I'm I, very hesitant to use the term gaslighting because I think it gets overused and it gets misused. But I do believe it is a real phenomenon, uh, and I like this term the best because it happens over an extended period of time. So if someone, to me, that knocks out this idea that I say something and then you disagree with it, and then I come back and say, you're gaslighting me. You get what I'm saying? Because it has to happen over a period of time. Um, And because it's insidious and covert, you don't really know when it's happening. So to be able to say to somebody, you're gaslighting me, it's just, that, that just feels, um, it just feels yucky to me to think about. So I don't use the term because I think it's misused, but I do think it absolutely is a concept. Um, the reason why it's coming up for me this morning, or yeah, this morning still for me, um, and I'm trying to kick out, I got, got four more to do or three more reflections to do uh, so I can meet my goal so you guys don't feel compelled to listen to all of them today. Just listen to them as you need to because I am going to go dark or quiet or silent for January uh, so you won't have me or the month of January. So feel free to just pace this out. Um, but the reason why I'm bringing this up is because, you know, the guy Patrick, I can't think of his name. Right now, his last name, but the video, remember the video? Oh, here it is. Patrick Tehan, T-E-A-H-A-N. And he does these videos on uh, childhood trauma. And um, and so I'm listening to one on self-gaslighting. I listened to most of it. I didn't take notes. And um, and I, f- I probably could go back and listen to it a second time because there were a couple of things that he said, I was like, hmm. Now, I did write down a few things, but I didn't take serious notes to try to report that out to you. So I'm not really here to report out to you what someone else said. You can go check out the content. Um, but I am here to entertain this idea of self-gaslighting as it relates to the work I want to do for 2022. And to think about the work I've already done in terms of gaslight, um, self-gaslighting 
and the work that I still need to do. So that's kind of what I want to talk about. This idea of self-gaslighting and progress that I've made in that area without even knowing that I was doing that work. So there were things I used to self-gaslight in some areas. I don't do that anymore. But truthfully, there are some areas that I'm still self-gaslighting. And and I want to process that. All right. And see what comes on the other side of that reflection. If you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory primarily. Um, the two that I use the most are Myers-Briggs. In that system, I'm an INTJ. And the Enneagram. And in that system, I'm a type 8. Pushing those two together, I identify as an INTJ8, also as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing educator of about 30 years. Half of that time has been in leadership, and I identify as a critical race feminist, which means I have a sensitivity to how power is assigned to social constructs such as race, gender, class, and sexuality. This project is unedited and it's unscripted. You get what you get. <laughs> There's, it's really hard to delete and erase unless I just delete a whole episode, which is what I did two episodes ago. It took me five times to release that episode. I don't even know what I named it. Let's see, what did I name that Oh, family structures and development. It took me five attempts, four hours to of content, three in which got deleted to uh, feel good about processing the seven toxic family structures that I got from Patrick. <laughs> and um, and so anyway, I don't do that on a regular basis. So what you get is what you get because I don't have time to just delete and re-record. Um, if you want to know more about this project or why I'm showing up the way I'm showing up, feel free to go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. Let me do a little housekeeping, uh, just because I already started. Um, I have about four episodes left, I believe. Let's see how many do I have left to do? Oh yeah. Three after this. And, um, I really wish I wouldn't have waited till last day, but while I was on vacation, there was so much going on as related to trauma that I was being triggered. And one of the things I am learning about myself, or maybe relearning, I maybe I, I may have talked about this before, but I'm re reminded at least that when I'm um, bombarded with a lot of intuitive data, or when my intuition is on like. It's at a heightened level and it's taking in a lot. And then my, especially if I have some inner feelings about that thing and I can't name those feelings, I'm, it paralyzes me because I have to first know what it is that I'm perceiving and then be able to separate my perceptions from my feelings. All right. So I have to know what it is that I'm perceiving. I have to know what it is that I'm feeling. And at the end of the day, I have to be able to separate the two. And because those are both inner functions, introverted intuition and introverted feeling, they can get tangled up together and I'm not always sure. And as a person that likes to, you know, take action, (laughs) um, um, I 
have to know what I'm taking action on. And so that it's sometimes it just it it can take me a while. And so when I first got to town, because I'm still on vacation, um, I did an episode like the very next the very day I was here. And then I went several days where I couldn't even hit the record button. I couldn't even tell you what was on my mind. I was in such a heightened state of perceiving. And I don't even think I had a feeling not consciously. If I think about it now, maybe I could put some words to feelings, but I knew that I was like gathering a lot and trying to make sense of a lot in at, at this abstract level. And so I went several days without recording, which was important because I knew that I had so many episodes that I still need to get out to meet my 250 quarter quote. I decided to do 50 episodes as opposed to 100 for the semester or for the season. You know, I think in semesters. Um, and I had been purposely holding on to that, thinking I was going to do a lot of reflecting during my vacation. And it just didn't work out that way because, and this is something I'm going to process at another time. I don't want to do it today. <clears throat> oh, excuse me, I don't want to do it in this episode. But I'm going to have to really rethink how I do this holiday season moving forward. Um, and I don't know how I'm going to do that, but I'm going to have to rethink it because I don't want to experience what I experienced this time around. And, um, and so I'll have to unpack some of that, some more with you later about that. Okay. But you guys probably figured out that was going on, which is one of the reasons why I'm talking about the trauma and, um, because I'm, I'm in the midst of it, right? I'm in the midst of family. And, and there, we're all coming from intergenerational trauma, and then we're all in one house, and it's it's intense. And anytime I come here, which is what I I said to you this three episodes ago, and I said it back in May and June, I know just just by the the nature of things, there's just going to be conflict. I am. Yeah, I have to talk about this. There was conflict that I haven't told you guys about. I don't want to talk about it, but I think that's related to this gaslighting conversation I need to have with myself. And once I have this gaslighting conversation with myself, I can probably talk about the event, the conflict that I did have. Because when I've had conflict before, I've told you guys about it. Why am I having a hard time telling you about this one? Because it's somebody I'm still bonded to through some kind of trauma bond. And um, I got to work through that. So anyway, let's talk about self-gaslighting. So let me just tell you the few notes that I do have from that episode. And, and it's not organized in any way because I was just trying to write down a, a few things that I thought were important for me. Not um, his pre the previous reflection I did on um, the seven types of toxic families. I took notes knew, knowing that I was going to give you those notes. But these notes here... I didn't take for you. I took them for me. But I want to share them with you nonetheless. But they may not make sense. So he said something in the, vid um, in the um, video that I thought was just important. I can't give you the context. But basically, you have to watch yourself. when You have to watch how you still gas, gaslight. You, you know yourself gaslighting when you are indebting yourself you are indebting yourself to someone and not empowering yourself and that that's powerful indebting yourself 
versus empowering yourself. I wish that he would just, just, I'm, you know, I might just send him a message and say, can you talk more about that thing right there? Because I feel like I get it, but I don't feel like I get it well enough to explain it to you all, right? Because I think when you self-gaslight, basically, it's when you deny your own reality. So when you've been gaslit, someone is, um, and I'm going to give I looked this up, though. There are, I'm going to give you six types of gaslighting. I thought that was, um, is it six? Okay, I'm leaning over, looking at my computer. I want to share this with you guys. Um... Unedited, unscripted, y'all. Okay, so these are six examples of common gaslighting situations to help you recognize and address their very real forms of abuse. This is from a website called Insider, okay? Number one, that never happened. If someone says to you, that never happened. Um, gaslight, I'm going to read the text. Gaslighting often causes the victim to doubt themselves. Someone will do or say something abusive and then deny that it ever happened. Um, the victim starts questioning their instincts and relies more and more on the reality that gets created and manipulated by the other person. And the text says the abuser that, I don't know why I don't want to say it, but, um, where you, you, your reality is dependent on someone else. They can control that. They can control the meaning making. They can control how we interpret reality and you can't do that. And I, I definitely, I definitely have experienced that. Um, I don't experience it a lot, but I have, and I, I wonder if there is a pattern in which I fall into being gaslit. I'm pretty sure there's a pattern. Number two, you're too sensitive. This is a phrase used by gaslighters to minimize and invalidate the victim's feelings. If the victim tries to express hurt or disappointment, the gaslighter may tell them they are making a big deal out of nothing. Oh my God. The intent is to make you feel stupid for even trying to stand up for yourself. Once an abuser partner has broken down the victim's ability to trust their own perceptions, the victim is more likely to put up with the abusive behavior and stay in the relationship. And again, I don't like that because that's limiting gaslighting to romantic situations. But this, what I'm thinking about is familial, okay? And that was definitely told to me coming up uh, over and over again that I was too sensitive anytime I brought something up that was uh, problematic. As a child, I was told that I was too too sensitive. Now what I'm told is I'm too smart, and I'm told that by multiple people in the family. And I have to be careful with that because I like being smart, right? And and then after a while, I was like, hey, <laughs> I don't really think that that's a compliment. <laughs> I've been thinking about that for the past six months. I'm like, I don't really think that's a compliment. And it's a way of um, not it's still a form of like denying my reality because, or saying, well, most people wouldn't understand that. You only, you only understand that because you're smart. So you can't have this expectation of me to know that or to do differently because I'm not smart. And that's not a normal thing to, to be aware of. You just know it because you're so smart. 
<clears throat> and so that's a that's a really good example of how I got how you can get tripped up and not even realize it's a form of gaslighting. Um, I'm going to read the third example that they're giving. You have a terrible memory. My ex would do that all the time. And my ex was an SI user. So, and they're really big on memory. SI users are big on memories better than NI. So I would be like, okay, I thought that happened, but okay. <laughs> and then there were, it got to be a point where it was like obvious. It was obvious. Um, like I, I remember the time when my ex, let me read it. Let me read this. Let me read this. Um, Okay, let me finish my story. I was, we were, I had to go to the bank. I went to my bank in my car and I was driving it. And my ex didn't want me to take the route that I took. And then said, that's your problem. You don't listen. Because my ex was trying to make the case that, that I didn't, I was going the wrong way. And I'm like, this is, this is the bank. This is my bank. I go to this bank on a regular basis. I drive myself on a regular basis. What do you mean I don't know how to get there? How, what do you mean I'm taking the wrong way? And then when I um, refused to, to, to listen to my ex, I was told, you don't listen. Now, that was so obvious for me. I actually started laughing like, what? <laughs> I just thought it was absurd. You talk. You think you're talking to a child, but the thing, the, the issue is that those kind of exchanges had been happening all along. It's just it wasn't obvious to me. But that situation was obvious because, yo, how do you think I've been getting to the bank? <laughs> I don't know what. I don't even understand what you're talking about. So, anywho, okay. Um, this is another common phrase. I'm reading. You are a terrible memory. Back at the the website. This is another common phrase gaslighters use to make victims doubt themselves. Of course, everybody experiences trouble with recalling certain details, but gaslighters will make the victim doubt their memory as a whole, spanning a multitude of situations. They do this because getting a victim to question themselves is at the core of gaslighting. When a victim no longer trusts their assessment, the abuser is in complete control. Number four, you're crazy and other people think so too. I'm always fascinated when someone makes an argument and they they have to leverage other people. Or they'll say, no one does this. Or everybody does this. Or we think, and this is the problem that you have with people. Well, I'm not dealing with people right now. I'm dealing with you, the individual. So how about we just talk about you? Well, I just want to let you know that you, are, you have this problem with other people. Mm-mm. Let's just focus on you right now. Um, so that's one way I, I relate to that. And, you know, I think one of the reasons why I got to be really careful here. I grew up and one of the things the guy says in this video, okay, I'm, I'm bouncing between two content right now, going to the YouTube guy, Patrick. One of the things he says is that it's an abuse on your intuition. You have to watch that. How your intuition, um, when you were a child, you, if you were in a, uh, on, on, if you were parented by an unhealthy parent who gaslit you, most of the time they were, uh, in, um, um, attacking your intuition and your inner truth because 
they don't want to have to confront that. And I, I think often about how, um, I think I, sometimes I even think about this project, like why I needed to have a project focused on my dominant function. Like it's dominant. Well, why do I need to give it attention? It should just be. But I think, and I often talk, I talk about my extroverted thinking being attacked. You know, I have to recover from that. But before then there was an, you know, an attack on my introverted intuition. And then I'm like, oh God, all this attacking. Like I don't, I don't want to see myself as a victim. Um, I don't like that at all. But I have to say that, you know, based, it's hard. It's it's just really, really hard because I don't, I don't, um, I don't walk around seeing myself as a victim. I don't feel helpless. You know, I, I deal with people all the time who want to try to take power because that's what we're in. We're that's what the matrix is: is this constant moving about and negotiating power, fighting for power, taking power, holding on to power. And so, I don't walk through the world having power taken from me. And it, for the most part, I never really felt that happen. I had one area that I struggled in in my mind, but I never understood the struggle. And I think because I didn't understand the struggle, it took me until 40 to begin to put put myself in a better situation. Well, by that time, I had gone into a relationship that mimicked that one area, that one area that I that I carried over from childhood and went into that relationship. So anyway, I don't like to say uh, it was attacked, but it, it was. So my intuition, I think about being a dominant introverted intuitive. And, you know, I always talk about before I knew about introverted intuition, that perceiving part of me, I assigned it to God. Um, I didn't, I, I objectified it. I put it on the outside of me. It was something that, oh, God is telling me this. God is showing me this. And this isn't to say that, you know, I don't have a a relationship with God and God can't show me. But I actually believe now my spirituality as I'm trying to work on being comfortable talking about my spirituality, being more comfortable having a, a sense of God, like, like I struggle with that, just the, the, the rational part of me really struggles with referring to a God, but that's not what this episode is about. Um, but now as I really work hard to embrace a God concept or a universe or spirit, or <clears throat> I don't say mother nature, I will say universe, spirit, and God, I'll use those three terms interchangeably. I believe God uses my intuition. He will communicate through my intuition, but my intuition is something that's in me. It's not out there. Like God is not out there. God runs through me. And connects to my intuition. That's very different from how I saw God coming up when I was really into religion. God was this thing outside of me. And it was the thing that other people could um, negotiate, um, represent, speak on behalf of, 
regulate. And that is not how I see God now at all. <laughs> so anywho, anyway, so that all comes from, but I think so in addition to having my intuition put in this God context that was outside of me, that then was regulated, you know, um, I came up where my intuition was, it was, it was, it was constantly questioned, constantly. Um, I don't know, it's, I'll tell you, doing these reflections on, um, Doing this reflection, these reflections on the childhood trauma, like I could say I'm from intergenerational trauma, but as I go inside of that thing and I open it up, it just makes me heavy. It makes me sad for a number of reasons. And I'm going to be honest, I probably wouldn't talk about it if I wasn't doing these episodes. Because in my mind, I'm past that. I'm over that, right? Well, the reality is if I was really, really over it, I don't think I would be this sad or heavy talking about it. Like even talking, my my stomach feels tight. And it, like I said in my reflections two episodes ago, it's very hard because I don't have objective data. I don't have objective data to accompany it. And objective data would be data from the outside, right? Because this is to the point of this guy, this gaslighting piece. I am been conditioned I have been conditioned to question or doubt my own inner truth my own perception so I can't stand in it now I I was thinking for a long time that that's an INTJ kind of thing right but I don't even know now (laughs) I don't even know I can intuit a thing but I have to accompany that thing that I'm intuiting with some type of objective information and data. <sighs> is that an INTJ thing or is that a is that a a trauma thing? I don't know. I don't know. If you're an INTJ, let me know. You're nidon.wordpress.com. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. Um, I was even thinking, I went back and I listened to the episode that I just did, well, two episodes ago on, um, uh, what was it? Uh, seven, no family, family structures and development. And I was like, some of this is repeated. I've said it before. And then I thought to myself, you're going to have to put that on repeat. You're going to have to say a lot of this stuff. I'm going to have to say it on Many, many times. So that it can move from being an intellectual understanding to being a full body truth. A truth that not just I intellectually understand it, not that I academically understand it, that it makes its way into my heart and into my body so it becomes an instinctual reality as I move about in the world. And it's not there yet. So... Those of you who have listened to other episodes where I've talked about trauma and you say, well, she said that before. You're going to have to make room for me to be on repeat. Because once that thing is saturated, then it's done. 
Um, when I was learning to do research, we talked about the saturation process. Like, well, you know, a th- when the thing is exhausted, it doesn't come up again. Uh, I can't give an example right now. But it's not saturated. I don't, it's not saturated through my my, my body. I want to talk about, I want to clean that point up about saturation. Because I feel like I just blunt, uh, messed that up. But anyway, you guys get, hopefully you get what I'm trying to say. So, yeah, that intuition part of me. You know, the feeling part, being told I'm too sensitive or that my perception is off. That's not what happened. Well, you, you make things up. And even <clears throat> something recent, like um, a few years ago when I was reading about um, adults, uh, adult children of alcoholic parents, and I'm really, and, I'm, and I learned about grandchildren of, of alcoholic parents. Um, that means the kids of the alcoholic parents, their kids. And there's research about how that alcoholic parent will have impact two generations down, right? So I'm trying to share with my aunts and uncles. And every time I, I learn something about trauma and healing, I want to take it back to them because I love my, you know, I say I love my family so much, right? This trauma that I just did for my job, for trauma-sensitive trauma training for schools, I wanted to share. I remember at Thanksgiving, my aunt, one of my aunts was washing dishes, and I was like, I really want to tell you about this trauma training. I did. She didn't even, she acted like I didn't say anything. And I know she heard me because we were in a conversation. <laughs> she didn't respond, and intuitively, I, I was able to connect the dots. She does, They don't like when I do. I talk about this. Now, one time in the middle of an argument, this particular aunt was like, why don't you sit down and you train the family on, I can't even remember what it was about, but it was about, a, it was just about trauma. And at that time, I don't think I called it trauma. And I was like, that's not my job to do that, to train you. We all need to go in and, and, and have some, and do some family therapy. But my, I was like, no, we're not going to do the family. If you want us to learn it, then you need to teach us. It was ridiculous, really. But now I'm kind of like, well, <laughs> I think I'm, I've, I have resolved and resigned to the fact that I'm not going to have that kind of, I'm not going to have a familial relationship. I'm not going to be in family with my family. I'm getting better at that resolution. I shouldn't say I've resolved because I still struggle. I still want to be in family with them. Really, I do. But being in family with them means being a particular role, being a particular character. And I don't want to do that. But anyway, but I'd, so now I think, whereas a few years ago, I was like, no, I'm not going to be the one to teach you about this. Like, I need to be with you. I shouldn't be on the outside teaching you. I should be with you and we do this healing work together. And that was no. But now I'm like, well, I will teach that. But I'm doing so from the space of accepting now that I'm not with them. But I do want to share this information with them. So anyway, 
I don't know how I went down that rabbit hole, but just this whole idea of your intuition. Oh, I know what I was saying. My, um, I was trying to explain the alcohol three years ago. I was trying to explain this information about alcoholic families and how it impacts the kids. And and my uncle, who I have a, I feel like I have a really good relationship. He squints like. He's trying to like sort through if it's real or like, like, like somehow I've, the, there's a reputation, there's a message out about me that I, I can talk and I make up things <laughs> like what the things I'm saying is just not true. And you could just see on his face, him processing if what I'm saying is true or not. And that, I remember feeling like, oh, that's hurtful. Like, why would I make this up? Why would I make it up? Um, one other time my uncle was like, you have an interesting way of seeing, saying, seeing things. It was something that happened and I talked about it happening, but that was a problem. But that's kind of what happens in, in a toxic family. You don't want the thing that is happening. No one wants you to talk about it. No one wants you to see it. And if you do see it, you don't talk about it. And this makes me think about this self gaslighting thing. Anyway, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to get to the self-gaslighting point that I wanted to make. But I, I want to share, there's a one of the principals that I uh, work with, which I'm not working with her, not in the way we're supposed to work. So she's got, this, she's got me in this space where we're doing this friendship thing. And I'm going to tell you, every time I talk with her and I walk away, something feels off for me. And I've been thinking about that, like going back to work. Something feels very off. And, and I have some thoughts about it. And it does relate to gaslighting. Um, but I'm not ready to share that. But what she, one thing I want to say is she, um, she told me within the last, the last month that you have a way of saying things that we don't say. See, the other principles, we don't say that. We don't say things. You're very direct. And you're, and you will say things that we don't talk about. And I'm like, what have I said that you, which that you don't say? Like, have I made something up? No, you're not making it up. We just have learned to just accept things, and we just don't talk about it. And I've just been thinking. It felt very like a passive, a passive kind of rebuke. Because clearly, I didn't get the memo right. I didn't get the memo that this thing that we're all experiencing, that I wasn't supposed to say it. So what I have started saying since then is, you're going to have to teach me the code. Now, there is research about codes of whiteness. And I think a lot of that is true to in this situation. So I just have been saying, I don't know the codes. So if you give me the codes, I'll try to follow them. But I don't think it's fair for me to get pinged on breaking a code I don't know anything about all right but I think all of that goes into this space of when we don't want to name the reality we don't want to name it we don't want to acknowledge it for whatever for different reasons because I think we would have to do something about it right we don't want to do anything about it so we're not going to name it and then the person who then names it then becomes the problem And it just makes me think, this one is really triggering me. What is this? 
the one, number four, you're crazy and other people think so too. It makes me think about um, when I first learned about unhealth. That's not true. Um, I want to say when I first learned about unhealthy mothering. But that's kind of not true because I... I had an experience in 2008 that um, I, a friend of mine is a trainer and she has friends who are trainers. They do. And uh, so her friend was doing a workshop on abuse, domestic violence. I'm like, well, I know about domestic violence. I come from that. I'm not really interested in it. I mean, I I was at that time of my life, domestic violence was something that happened in romantic relationships. And it happened between a man and a woman. And that's so not the case. That's not the limit. That's not the extent of it. But at that time, in my understanding, that was how I, I knew domestic violence was something that happened between a man and a woman in a romantic situation. And I was like, I got that... No man is going to abuse me. <laughs> anyway, so I was like, but but my friend was going and I wanted to hang out with my friend. So she was going to support her friend and I wanted to hang out with my friend. So I went and I want to tell you, I left that workshop so mad at my friend. I mean, it, it was an irrational anger and I knew it was irrational. I knew that she didn't set me up, but I felt that I had been set up all the same and I was angry with her. And when I dropped, when we, when we left the workshop, the training, I had to drive her back to her car. She was like, are you mad at me? She was like, I feel like you're mad at me. And I was like, no, I'm not mad. But I was, I was ticked off with her, but I knew I had no reason to be, but I was Drove home back to drove back to my hotel because I was out of town, and I was so frustrated that normally I would have called my best friend to talk about it. I couldn't even talk to my best friend about what it was that I was angry about, and I wasn't fully sure how to talk about it. And so the workshop basically wasn't just domestic violence between a man and a, a husband and a wife or a romantic relationship. In this workshop. The person, the trainer, my friend's friend, was talking about how parents can be abusive to their kids. And it was the first time I got exposed to that as a possibility. And tr- now that I know the patterns of my stored trauma, like I have trauma that's stored in my body that I haven't dealt with, there's a pattern of when that is triggered. I can feel, I know what it feels like in my body. That was the first time I felt that, at least consciously. So in the middle of the workshop, and I'm like, and then that's the other thing. I was like, other people, you know, this lady was facilitating this workshop. And everybody was talking about their their trauma. And again, I'm not the person. I'm not a victim. I'm above that. And people were in there crying. I'm not going to cry. So it, the the need to cry had become so overwhelming that I had to, uh, I, I had to excuse myself to go to the bathroom because I would not allow myself to cry in that workshop. I was not gonna wasn't gonna cry in front of those people, and I was not gonna acknowledge that I had been abused by a parent. 
that's just unthinkable. But if that's unthinkable, why are you having this reaction? I could not understand it. So fast forward, I dropped my friend off at her car. She asked me if I'm mad at her. I was like, nope, but I was because she had me go to this dang workshop that now I'm confronted with something. I don't know why I'm having this, these emotions. I drive back to my hotel. I don't call my best friend because normally when I'm mad, I would call her and be like, let me tell you. I couldn't even do that. I go to sleep. I go to sleep with the TV on. I'm awakened. This is why I do fight for my construction of God, right? I'm going to tell you something that I feel like was miraculous. This is one of the reasons why, as a rational thinker, I... This is why I fight the rational part of my brain to allow me to embrace this a God concept. This is an example. I go to bed at the, and I and I leave the TV on, and I wake up at like two, three in the morning with this infomercial that talks about some kind. I don't even know what the product was that they were selling, but the thing was about how children can be abused by their parents, and I'm I'm like, oh my gosh. And and I just started crying and not even fully knowing what I was really, really crying about. It wasn't like I had these memories that popped up, but I think I knew in that moment that that was spirit confirming. You were not treated right <laughs> in the space of being taken care of. I mean, that is the most complicated reality to say you were taken care of and you were mistreated by the same person. That's, that's, excuse my language, but that's pretty fucked up. I'm sorry. There's no other word for that. I don't, I don't usually drop the F bomb, but there is no other word for it to try to reconcile that. So that was in 2008. And then, in sometime in 2000 and um um maybe 2016 maybe 2015 i was living i wasn't i wasn't living in my home state but i wasn't and um every summer you know i would i never i spent half the year going i, I would split my time between my home state and this other state. And every time uh, I would come back, a, a, this new friend of mine said, I, I need to say something to you. And I don't, I hope you don't think I'm out of line, but every time you come back, you're different. And you remind me of my sister. Um, our mother was a narcissist. And you remind me, I don't know your mother, you've never talked about your mother, but you remind me of a person that has had a, nar- a narcissistic parent. And I was like, what? And I started, you know, when I get it, when I don't, I'm pretty consistent like that. You can say something to me, I might disagree with it, doesn't matter, but I'm going to process it. I'm always going to process it. And I processed it and I started doing my homework. I don't even know how I got into that rabbit hole, but 
I don't even know what that, um, but just that constant, based on what this guy said in this, what Patrick, I'm like Patrick, what Patrick said in this video, that your intuition can be warred against, that that's the abuse. When you perceive something and someone is constantly telling you, nope, that's not it, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true. You feel something, oh, well, you're too sensitive. You know, like both of those, you know, an attack and, and that's not what happened. The good thing about that is that I have a sister and up until recently, my sister was, would be like, no, no, mom, that did happen. No, mom, you did do that. And that's, that has, that was beautiful. There's been a little shift happening in the last year or so, but we'll talk about that at another time. Um, but so I, with, with my, my caregiver, I've never really struggled with memory part because of my sister being able to verify. And sometimes I still call her, Hey, uh, I'm saying these things. This is how I remember. Do you remember that? And for the most part, she goes, you're right. That is what happened. That is what's going on. We have a different relationship to that reality. But we both can say, yep, that happened. Okay. Ugh, I don't know where I was at with that. I don't know where I thought it was a rabbit hole, but let's go back to the insider with the website. Number four, these are gaslighting examples. You're crazy. And other people think so too. On top of making victims experience doubt, gaslighters make even their victim question their own sanity. That gaslighter might also try to convince the victim's family and friends that they are mentally unstable so that they can far, further discredit any claims the victim is making. This decreases the likelihood that the victim's stories will be believed and disconnects them from the resources that would make it possible for them to leave an abusive relationship. This is particularly common in male-female fam- romantic relationships where the man is gaslighting the woman. According to a 2019 paper, this may be due to the way society can sometimes depict women as more irrational and less in control of their emotions than men. I do see that, but I think a woman in a relationship with another woman, that can happen as well. And at the end of the day, the woman is still considered to be irrational. Um, it's interesting. No, that's an interesting thing. Number five, I'm sorry you think that I hurt you. I love that. While this statement might seem like an apology, it isn't. Instead, uh, this is a way for an abuser to deflect responsibility and blame the victim. That This kind of apology leaves the victim questioning their own judgment and wondering if they really did overact, overreact. If it can lead to the victim relying on the abuser's interpretation of events. And number six, you should have known how I would react. Now, I have to admit, based on this conflict that I had um, on this trip, which I haven't talked about it, but I actually said this thing to this person. And so when I read this article, I was like, oops, and I need to think about it. But I literally said this to the person. You, well, I didn't say you should have known. I'm, I said, if you, the person said, I knew you were going to react this way. And I said, well, if you knew I was going to react this way, why didn't you prepare for my reaction? And I am going to think that through. I'm going to, I'm going to meditate on why I said that. And 
because God knows if that was a form of gaslighting that person or not taking ownership, I need to hold myself accountable. So I'm going to come back to that, you guys. But let me read it. Um, you should have known how I would react. That's number six. This is another way an abuser will deflect responsibility onto the victim. This can make the victim feel guilty or hurt about a situation where they really didn't do anything wrong. Gaslighting involves twisting facts so they can avoid personal ownership of their behaviors. By telling the victim they should have known better, the gaslighter places the blame on the victim for not only speaking up, but also the abuser's response. And that's what happened. My, my, the person, it was my sister, you guys, I don't want to say it, but it was my sister and she reacted to something in a way I didn't not appreciate her reaction to. And when she said, I knew you were going to react a certain way that I did. I'm like, well, if you knew I was going to react to it, why didn't you prepare us for this? You know, it was something that happened. I didn't, I felt blindsided by a situation. And because my sister thought, had anticipated I was going to have a hard time with it, she was on defense mode. She was on defense mode and it was pretty brutal in my, in my opinion, it felt pretty brutal. And so my thing was, if you knew I was going to have a problem with it and you were going to do it anyway, you could have in love prepared, you could have prepared me for this. Now, that was kind of what I was thinking, but now I'm reading this article like, was this an example of not letting her have her feelings? I don't know, but we've kind of talked, we've talked about it and my sister has apologized for, um, how she, how she, the, the, Um, the intense, the intensity of how she reacted, uh, the aggressiveness in how she reacted. And, and, and then she apologized for blindsiding me, but I have not yet apologized to her for the, for my reaction. And I think I, I need to, but I, I need to, um, and that's hard. It's, it's, it's not hard because I have a hard time apologizing. That's not it. It's hard because I try to live my life and, and I try to, I try to live at high frequency. And usually I don't typically do things in my opinion that's not grounded in any kind of, um, I try to live ethically. I try to make ethical decisions, especially as it relates uh, to my sister. And so I'm just like, why would I, not be at a high level with why, why did I not operate in high frequency? Like, where did I miss the mark in my reaction? If my, re, if my reaction was not grounded in high frequency thinking, ethical thinking, why? That's what I typically do. But so I need to think about it. Not to say that I actually do think she deserves an apology from me. But I need to really make sure what I'm apologizing to. I want to make sure of that. All right, you guys, let's let me. Um, oh my God, it's 51 minutes. Oh my goodness gracious! I'm gonna do a. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm feeling a little silly. 
Oh my gosh, I'm talking too much. Um, I'm starting to feel like you guys are real people. Like I'm really in a relationship with you all. And I have no idea who you are. But this is the problem when I start kicking out too many in a short time period. I feel overexposed and um, I don't like that feeling. So anyway, but I'm going to press forward. I'm going to end this reflection here and hit the record button and uh, keep talking because I really want to move into this uh, about self-gaslighting. So what I've done in this reflection is I have listed six examples of of self um, of gaslighting, but I haven't talked about the self-gaslighting piece. Um, so I'm going to name this reflection gaslighting and then I'm going to come back and do more about self-gaslighting because I didn't even give you anything from the notes from the guy, from Patrick, although I did reference him a couple of times. All right. So if this, if you, if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart, like it. You guys know what I mean when I say give it a heart, right? That means to like it or thumbs up it or whatever it is on the platform that you use. But please give it a heart. If this conversation about gaslighting and being having your memories questioned, your intuition questioned, your feelings questioned, your sense of reality questioned over a long period of time, not in a given situation, I don't agree with that, but over a period of time, um, if this connects to a conversation you've had in the world, please take this link and share it. If my moving about in this conversation, I fell into a couple of rabbit holes, told some stories today, um, told a few, I think I told three stories, um, maybe four, um, if they, as I was telling those stories, if some randomness popped up in you, I would love to hear it. It doesn't even have to be about gaslighting. It doesn't have to be about trauma. Anything, I would love to hear it. You can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. Twitter, yournidom1. Facebook, nidom leadership. And YouTube, yournidom. Let me give you your homework assignment. I'm pausing because I'm I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed. Um, and I'm not sure why. I'm just going through my normal closeout. What is the feeling of overwhelm about? But anywho, let me put you guys on a pause so I can come up with an assignment for you. I don't want to. I don't want to ask you about. Tell me about a time you were gaslit. I don't want to do that. That's too easy. I think the question I want to ask you is: Go to your subjective truth, and your subjectivity is located in those introverted functions primarily. Your inner truth, your inner perceptions, your inner feelings. Tell me about when you've questioned, though. When you've questioned your own perception, when you've questioned your own thinking, when you've questioned your own feelings, when you've questioned your memory. I just went through those four introverted functions. Introverted intuition, introverted feeling, introverted sensing. And what's the one am I missing? What am I missing? Introverted intuition. Introverted feeling, introverted sensing, and introverted thinking. There it is. Our subjectivity is located there. Tell me a time when you've questioned yourself. And then, not tell me. The last two episodes I've been saying tell me. You're not giving the assignment to me. (laughs) This is for you, though. But 
Think about a time in which you question your own subjectivity as it relates to those four introverted functions. And then part B, or the second question is, draw a line. Where do you think that comes from? Connect that to an, ex- uh, an extended period. What, where do you think that comes from? You questioning your own subjectivity. And that's not always just about familial trauma. Those of us who live at the margins racially, sexually, um, gender, class, and we're dealing with a power holder, power holders, whatever the power source is, want to hold on to their power. So gaslighting can happen beyond the family. It can happen at work. It can happen at school. It happens at church or some kind of religious congregation. Happens in the media. <laughs> so, and it happens in medicine. It, it just happens. So think about when you question your own subjectivity and, and try to draw some lines. Where do you connect the dots? Where do you think it comes from? You guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you until I come back. Be well. Bye.